Hello and welcome to this episode of The Gaming Podcast. The Gaming Podcast is the official podcast of Gaming Magazine, which looks at the video game world with a queer twist. You can check out more from Gaming Magazine by visiting GamingMag, that's G-A-Y-M-I-N-G, mag.com. New episodes of The Gaming Podcast come out every two weeks. If you're new to the podcast, please click subscribe so you don't miss another episode. This episode of The Gaming Podcast is coming to you from the awesome Chatterbox Voices studio in the city of London. First up in the studio, I'm joined by Giles Fenwick. He's the Associate Director of Games at SkillSearch. Giles, how are you? Very good, thank you. Thanks for dropping by. Thank you for having me. No, no, pleasure. Uh, So tell me a little bit more about SkillSearch and what your role is. Okay, certainly. Um, So we are a niche recruitment agency. Um, We've actually been just celebrated our 30th anniversary, so we've been uh, around for a little while now. Um, But I joined the company eight years ago uh, with the intention to to grow a games department. Um, And we work with companies globally, providing them with with good quality staff, basically. Um, So, yeah, that's kind kind of us in a nutshell. Awesome. Um, You're about to release the report from this year's Games Interactive Salary and Satisfaction Survey. Uh, Can you tell us a bit more about why it's so important? Sure, certainly. So we've been running this survey um, for the last six years now. And and what we've found, it obviously gives us a really nice insight in terms of what people are looking for in terms of their career, what people are looking for in a studio. Because games, obviously, is one of those industries where it's a creative industry. People actually care far more about the culture of a studio, the environment, um, whether the, it's inclusive, whether they feel safe, um, work-life balance over mm. over the, the salary itself. Um, so it's provided not only um, great information for, for people when they're looking for jobs, what about what different... Um, industry in uh, different studios will provide them but it's also allowed some of the studios that we work with to really sort of tailor what they can offer individuals to, to give them the best work-life balance and and uh, job satisfaction. It's great to have that sort of 360 view of a company as well rather than just it always being about the money. Um, what changes in trends have you seen over the past few years then? You know, I think for for myself, um, certainly, sort of from when I started eight years ago, and and through the uh, survey showed this as well. The biggest trend has been the change in uh, gender balance. Mm. Um, we do quite a lot of work with universities, um, and it's amazing now to go in and see the the much more equal balance um, of uh, male females to to when we first started doing that, and the survey reflects that as well. Um, the other thing that we've really seen a difference in is over last year, the the difference between what juniors and senior people in studios were looking for was, was quite different, whereas this year, exclusively, the most important thing that people are looking for is work-life balance mm. across all levels. That's really interesting. I think so there's, there's a lot of research that's come out lately about how there are sort of a large proportion of people in the industry that have sort of mental um, and physical disabilities. Um, And so being able to sort of find that more supportive uh, environment and nature for for them is actually really important. Yeah. Um, So that's really great that there's this uh, report out there. Um, You can obviously read more about this report on Gaming Magazine. Um, So check out GamingMag.com. And finally, Giles, uh, what games are you most most excited about this year? So the one for me, I, I love my um, party games, and, mm-hmm. and the one for me that I'm really excited about is Fall Guys. I don't know if yes. you've seen that by yeah. Meditonic. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, just a good fun yep. game to to sort of play. It's obviously a 
a battle royale game with a, a bit of a difference. So that that for me sort of leading the way. Um, the other one is um, Phantom Cover Ops mm-hmm. by End Dreams. Um, lucky enough to, to play a demo of that, and nice. I, I must admit it's the first time I've really gone. I want to buy a, a quest off the back mm. of that. Um, yeah, sort of real bit of a, I think, a game changer in terms of uh, VR games. But I think really leading the way is, is Fall Guys. Yeah, just yeah, a, we, a bit we, of fun. We talked about this on a podcast, I think it was a couple of episodes ago now, about the the rise of late of non-violent games um, and how it's just, with the world as it is at the moment, not having those sort of stresses, not having those yeah. um, really sort of like, almost, I wouldn't say negative uh, games, but sort of like quite harsh reality games, I should say. Yeah. Um, having sort of like this rise of non-violent games is just amazing. And so Fall Guys, as you say, of just the idea of moving 100 people from one side of a bridge to another with a variety of ob- obstacles in the middle. Um, I think that's just a genius game, and yeah. I think it's going to be really popular. No, it really is. I mean, I'm, I've got a young family, and even if they're not playing the games, if they happen to see me playing the games, it's the kind of game that you're exactly yeah. for them yeah, to, to see you playing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Giles, thank you very much. Um, the salary and satisfaction survey from Skill Search is available on Game Magazine. Go check that out. Giles, have a good journey, uh, journey home. Brilliant. Thank you for having me. Thanks a lot. Joining me on the rest of the podcast today, we have Games PR Supremo Izzy Jagan. And self-confessed doer of many things, Dr. Ashley Nova. Hello. 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 Hi. Glad to I got be the, here. I got the surname right. You did get the surname <laughs> right. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. How are we feeling? How we're are feeling, we today? How we're are we feeling good? amazing. Feeling mm-hmm. here, good. feeling queer, hydrated, yeah. moisturized. All the important things in life. All the important life. things, yep. yeah. It's 2020. It's about self-care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're actually out of January as well in, say, in 2020, which has been possibly the worst way to start oh, a year. We're out of 2020. Oh, exactly. It's 2021 now. That we've ever had. What yeah, do you can mean? We just fast forward 11 through? more months of this. <laughs> exactly. I saw a tweet the other day that said, sorry, just checking. Does 2020 have any other months or is it just January? Mm-hmm. Which I really, mm-hmm. really kind of relate to deeply. Yeah, it didn't exactly get off to a flyer. No, but no, it didn't. There we go. Um, on the podcast, as always, um, our opening segment is called What's in Your Slot? This is where I ask each guest to talk about the game they're enjoying playing at the moment. Um, I'm kicking off with Spider-Man on PlayStation 4. Now, I know it's probably a little bit old, um, but I've had a playthrough of it um, a couple of years ago when it first came out, and then I picked it back up again um, over the past weekend... Um, and I love it. It's possibly the best, one of the best superhero games um, comfortably. I think the mechanics of it are great. The swinging part of it is great, and I mean that with a web. Um, and it is, <laughs> and it is just a case that some past Spider-Man games. I don't know if you ever noticed this, but some past Spider-Man games, you've been able to swing um, anywhere. Mm-hmm. It's, just, mm. it's not going well, is it, really? Swinging no, it's and... okay. Okay, fine, I'll, okay. I'll keep going. Just continue. But, um, but when you're sort of um, zooming down the street, on this game, you can only um, attach your webbing to when you actually have stuff above your your head, your height, basically, yeah. above your head. Yeah, so when I think the, only, into... the only one I remember that did it that way before was the Spider-Man 2 mm. on PlayStation 2. Yeah, because the first one of them was yeah. the one where you could literally go around in fresh air. Yeah, and it, I, it, it you was... must be latching onto planes or something above <laughs> you. <laughs> the clouds. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Moisture yeah. in the atmosphere. Because yeah. um, it's always re- in, in this one um, when I was playing it, it's always really annoying when you get to Central Park because yeah. 
you yeah. just can't sort of like swing across it unless you mm. have to go from tree to tree and then it all gets very mm-hmm. difficult. Um, but what, of course, what I love the most about Spider-Man is how gloriously gay it is. I mean, there are rainbows everywhere. New York's pretty much... You can sort of navigate it if you know a bit of New York. Um, mm-hmm. And so I went down and tried to find, obviously, Christopher Street and the Stone Wall, and it's all there. And I think there's a whole thing about trying to find as many of the rainbow flags as possible. And there are some that actually... Are, some are really obvious. There's that really famous one um, that's like a huge mural of a rainbow mm-hmm. um, where you can sort of get great sort of selfies from mm. if you perch on the, the flagpole opposite. Um, but then some that are really tucked away and some are actually quite obscure where you can only see it happening if you're in a certain angle looking at it in a certain way. Yeah. But no, it's, it's a really good fun game. So yeah. that's what I've been playing at the moment. So nice um, to have some queer Easter eggs. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, having like a AAA game that has sort of queer Easter eggs in um, I think it's absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, I think we need more more queer Easter eggs uh, yeah. in games. Yeah, exactly. That's my, that's my instruction to the world. Yep. Um, they must obey. Exactly, exactly. Um, Izzy, what have you been playing at the moment? So I've been playing The Outer Worlds, not to be confused with The Outer Worlds, which is a completely different game. Um, I wanted to speak about playing The Outer Worlds today because I've been doing a lot of reading about everyone's favourite asexual lesbian space Mechanic Pavati, um, and I wanted she is to. She's my favorite. She is. She's the only good character. She's the only game. good. <laughs> yeah, she's the only good character. I kind of almost feel as if we play the game through her, because mm. um, you know we encounter her at the very beginning, and she's like the the voice of enthusiasm, naivety, and excitement from this amazing new world that we're seeing. And the silent protagonist is all, always kind of like, yeah, I guess because we're gonna kill these raiders. Yeah, new planet, whatever. Cool. Um, uh, so, yeah, I, I just really think that her character really emphasises the the need for authentic writing for these kinds of characters because her writer, Katie Dollahide, is an asexual mm-hmm. bi woman. Yep. And I think that's actually really pivotal in making her character like authentic as possible. Mm-hmm. And you can really tell that her character was, was drawn from the heart and that she was given the attention and the story that she really, really deserved as a character. Mm. And it was really interesting that she was the only roman- romantic plot line in the entire game. Yeah, and, and that, that that's something I really enjoyed about that was presenting an asexual character as someone who does have mm. romantic interests and that it's... There's just no drama... I'm 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 really like living for queer stories nowadays that are just they're just queer and there's there's no drama. It's just around all love. It. Yep. You just, just love. have to help her pick out an outfit and cook a nice meal. Yeah, you yeah. might kill someone along the way, but <laughs> she doesn't approve of it. Um, but yeah, I just love her. She's my favorite. I think it's really interesting as yeah. well that you sort of meet her as the first companion in the game as yeah. well. You meet her so early on, yeah. and she's really bursting with enthusiasm mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. naivety, but you kind of figure out later in the game that she's really not as naive as she seemed and mm. she was just kind of really longing for those human connections and the found family that she yep. didn't actually have with her colony that that she grew up with. Um, and I think you kind of really see her come out of her shell. It's such a strong game as well. Um, we've lived sort of, obviously, there's been a lot of awards thrown its way um, and I think there's some debate if you take a few steps back and look at the game as a whole, there is some debate about, I don't quite understand why they got all the awards. I being don't think honest. it's anywhere near as good as people say. No, it's... it's no. It is... 
fine. It, it was it's a good fun. game. It's, it's an, good. Yeah, it's an all right game. You can play it. You can play it the whole way through. Yeah. I, 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 I kind of messed up my playthrough on that one because I never got the vicar mm. character. Mm. Okay. Because I walked okay. into that first town, I met Pavati, and mm. then I shot the mayor in the head. I okay, just, cool. I just killed him immediately. I can't imagine I like... Pavati thought well of that. <laughs> no, I she thought didn't. she was your favorite <laughs> she, character. She didn't, she didn't, but she still she, she, she stayed stuck with you. along. Yeah. Yep. Can't believe you took um, advantage of And her by like the time that. I got no. back Naivety. to the town again, when I think other people would go and pick up the vicar, everyone hated me. Yeah. And and was I wonder why. Instant, just, I mean, <laughs> you, you did, did shoot only the shoot the leader of the colony <laughs> that they all relied on for yeah. sustenance and yeah. work. And then I stole their power supply and... Well, that would be yeah. why then. Yeah. <laughs> Can't imagine why. Yeah. Um, mainly because... F the corporations, yeah, and capitalism, yeah. That was that was my goal in that in that entire playthrough. That's which unfortunately, true. like, mm. that game was not as revolutionary as I think a lot of people were hoping. Both in a political sense, it mm. was not politically revolutionary. No, really, and it didn't evolve the Fallout, Elder Scrolls. Yeah, no. For sure. Model. There was nothing new. There was nothing yeah. new because it, had... it kind of set out with that capitalism bad. Yeah, but exactly. is it really? Yeah. Kind of outset mm-hmm. and it didn't really elaborate on yeah. its position on that. And it kind think, of got lost along the way. I think on the, I think it's one of our very first podcasts that we did. We actually sort of spoke about this at length. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it There's so much in it that's been lifted from other games mm-hmm. yeah, for that sure. it hasn't really sort of found its mm. its one real... And I think, to be honest with you, the shining part of the game is Pavati. Yeah, definitely. I think yeah. in time, it will be a, it will be the game that had that really, really well-done asexual character. Yeah. And that will mm-hmm. be the end of the conversation. Um, because the game itself... It's fine. It's yeah. good. It's okay. It's, yeah. it's nothing revolutionary. There's no real... The as you say, the, the the RPG element, there's no real sort of development of that. Mm-hmm. It's a bit borderlandsy if you sort of gun up and and the the artistic sort of style of it. It's a bit yeah. borderlandsy. Yeah. There's you can play the game and go, oh that's so and so, oh that's that, that's that, and you can see where they got all the inspirations from, yeah. and that's fine. But I don't <laughs> the the irony of me sitting here going, I don't see why I get so many awards because we actually named it our game of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but it wasn't we that named it; it was our readers that named it, so it's mm-hmm. their fault. Um, but no, it, the whole thing is just sort of, it, it's really important. It is an important game. and I think it will go down as an important she's game. She's an important Absolutely. character. Because she's a yeah. great character. She's an important character because it's probably the first time that somebody's actually managed to capture, I would argue, not in, not even in game, possibly even in, in the entertainment world as a whole. Yes. An asexual character, done properly, done authentically. Outspokenly asexual. Out- she talks exactly. about it. Yeah. She talks about her That's experience it. being an asexual person. Yep. And and voiced by Ashley Birch as well. Who what else could we you want? We all love Ashley Birch. <laughs> has given voice to so many sort of powerful queer women. Yeah. Um, in game, um, which I think is just an amazing thing. So yeah, having said, ugh, it's okay. It's actually really really good as well at the same yeah. time. Yeah, the game is okay. Pavati <laughs> is amazing. Play play it for the character rather than necessarily play it. For, do it for Pavati. Do it for Pavati. <laughs> Hashtag. <laughs> Cool. Um, Ashley, what have you been playing? I know I know your house move. So you yes. Have, you're, so, you have had your hands tied. So, so I moved house three weeks ago as of recording, and I have had no internet, um, which means I, I'm, I'm on hiatus from Twitch and everything, so I'm not playing anything 
new because I have this anxiety about playing games and having experiences when I'm not sharing them with the internet. Um, <laughs> so I've been digging quite deeply into Warframe. Um, I've been playing it on the Switch, which is difficult because the not only is the game like two patches behind the okay. the, the rest of um, the Warframe community, there just aren't a lot of people playing on Switch, and mm. so it, it makes it difficult to do um, parts of that game that are built around squatting up and like really going in. There, there are missions in that game that are nearly impossible to solo unless you've got exactly the right Warframe and everything. But what really blew me away about it is I'm, I don't know, nearly 100 hours in since I got my Switch in Sep, no, October. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took me 50 hours to get to the story. Wow. The, the story for that game does not start until you're 50 hours in. Wow. Um, and you've... I'd, I'd never get there. No, I don't... <laughs> right, like, it, you need to... Anything, you need to have, like... You need to be interested enough in the gameplay mechanics. Yeah, I was going to say, what keeps you going for those 50 hours? Yeah, it's a really is solid... goal-orientated, like, or is it fun yeah, the way? Yeah, so or? the way I play it is usually I will get up in the morning on a weekday and in the... 45 minutes between I'm showered and I've had breakfast and I need to leave for work, I will grab my Switch and I will play a couple of missions. And it's very much like I want to get Chroma Prime. I want to grind all the relics out and get Chroma Prime. Um, And all the time, like I had heard months ago that the Warframe story gets really good 50 hours in. I'm like, oh. And I checked, like, like I, I know the quest. Yeah. Um, it's called The Second Dream. If you haven't got that yet, it's amazing. Um, and it just completely reshapes everything you think you understand about the lore and what's going on in in the game from, from a narrative point of view. Because before that, it doesn't really have a narrative. You don't mm-hmm. understand why you're running around in our solar system, you don't know who the Grenier are, you don't know who the Corpus are, and you don't know what an Orokin is. Mm. Um, I, I think, still don't. Yeah, <laughs> I was right. going to say. <laughs> cool. Um, but so the, the the premise of the game is you, you're a cool robot ninja and you slide around and you cut people with swords and you have cool guns. Mm-hmm. But actually, it's full of feelings and I just played... Are you happy at oh robot ninja? Robots with feelings. I played a yeah. two-hour <laughs> horror quest yesterday that was amazingly delivered like like completely shaping up the entire gameplay loop of even the second dream and the war within which are like the really big core narrative quests um, that establish what's going on in the world have the same model where you drop in you do an exterminate mission and during the exterminate mission there might be a cutscene and you're the voices in your head will talk to you and stuff will happen. Um, but the quest I did, just did, this this horror mission completely shook that up. Mm. Um, for most of these missions, you can't hurt any of the enemies. Mm. And it's all pitch black and you can only see with your torch. Um, and it's really interesting how the, the devs behind the game have managed to um, completely shake up the experience and deliver interesting narrative. Um, I just hope that... The real hope is that in the next bunch of patches they're going to finally fix the onboarding 
problem because okay. someone might hear me say Warframe has a great story, but they're not going to be able to go in and do 50 hours of yeah. grinding Definitely. quests to get there I'm, necessarily. I'm, yeah, I'm a horrible person when it comes to entertainment. Mm. Like You have to have my attention within the first... 15 or 20 minutes mm-hmm. otherwise, I know. otherwise I'm gone after like the first yeah. hour if I don't experience an emotion I get the sinking feeling of ennui <laughs> and I just can't continue uh-huh. a general malaise yeah, yeah. <laughs> no it's it, my body it, 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 for, uh, yeah I'm afraid it's sort of from t- yeah t- t- TV War- film Warframe, games Warframe for me is definitely a game where I have a blast playing mm. and and the the gameplay the loop is really good like going into missions and choosing I want to grind out this thing and the loop of doing that is really rewarding and um hits all the right buttons yeah um and it's just it was really nice to hit a point I was streaming when I was playing it I was playing these big quests and I was like wow this retroactively justifies narratively mm. everything I've done before yeah um which felt great I, I'm wondering if it's kind of like the 50 hours leading up to the, the main story you, you might compare to something like Candy Crush, for example, where you, you grind these levels and it hits all the satisfactory buttons uh-huh. and you continue and you continue and continue, yeah. except if Candy Crush became an, a story where Tiffy has a really tragic family yeah. backline, yeah. Uh, yeah. like a thousand levels in. Yeah, if Candy Crush became The Witcher 3 a thousand yeah. levels in. That's one it, hell of a that, pivot, that's what let's be honest. Yeah. 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 <laughs> just no one's gotten there yet. Exactly, yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's very deep. Just like those satisfactory buttons. It yeah. sounds like, mm-hmm. you know, something that you do every day as like a routine. Mm. Yeah. Kind of yeah. thing, yeah. That's how I understand mm-hmm. it. That feels like good payoff, really, in some ways. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it's something that's continued. I think as soon as, um, as, soon as the devs behind it realized that they could write good stories and started putting resources into it. All of the quests after that. This, the, the Second Dream is a quest that came out in 2014, I think. Mm. Um, and since then, they, they've repeatedly delivered expansions on that narrative, and it's it's all great. It's all really good writing, and it's exciting to play. And when you unlock a new quest, you can go out and be like, ah, yes, just add a little bit more lore. Um which is what's keeping me going now. Mm. I think if it didn't have that, I would have bounced off at hour 60, probably. Yeah. Um, and now I'm like, I'm like, I'm no longer looking to unlock the next Warframe. I'm looking to unlock the next story quest. Yeah. Well, that's cool. And it's something to look forward to, maybe, if mm-hmm. they actually have that sort of way of getting into maybe the narrative without having to go through 50 hours. Yeah, yeah. I, be... I think that's something that the devs are really yeah. keen to do is fix the onboarding problem. That's cool. Yeah. That'd be good. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Uh, we'll be back with what's hot on Gaming Magazine right after this break. Izzy, if one of your goals for 2020 was to get a new job in the video games industry, where would you start? I've no idea, but... I'm sure you know. Well, I would head to Skill Search. It's their mission to match top talent in the games industry with studios searching for their hard-to-find skills. Well, what makes them so special? Well, their skilled team of niche experts immerse themselves in the world of those they work with, mirroring the studio setup. Oh, and they've just celebrated their 30th birthday. Ah, 
Are they UK-based? No, not at all. Um, They have a global reach working with clients and candidates across Europe, Asia and North America. And, you know, because of their global network in an industry where people willingly relocate for the perfect opportunity, they're skilled not only in helping people find their dream job, but they're also relocation specialists too. They even include city guides in all of their job listings. Okay, that's awesome, but... How do they know for sure that my skills match their vacancies? Well, SkillSearch understands the people they work with and have excellent insight into the game's job market thanks to regularly attending industry events and their Salary and Satisfaction Survey. In fact, the Salary and Satisfaction Survey is now in its sixth year and they've just released this year's report, which you can check out on Gaming Magazine. Okay, I'm sold. Maybe I will start job hunting in Skillsearch. Well, go check out skillsearch.com to start looking. There are hundreds of jobs online right now. Okay, I'm off. Wait, we have the rest of this podcast to get through first. Too late. I'm going job hunting. Welcome back. I'm here with Izzy and Ashley. And this segment is called Best of Gaming, where we talk about our pick of the latest stories from Gaming Magazine. Izzy, I'm going to come to you first. What's been catching your eye on gaming? What has caught my eye? That's a very good question, Robin. (laughs) So what's caught my eye is actually your game mm-hmm. of the week, which is Life is Strange Beyond the Storm. Yes. Uh, before the storm, sorry. <laughs> Forgotten the name. Um, great start. Didn't catch uh, your eye that well. No. <laughs> caught one of my eyes. Um, so I kind of wanted to talk about this because in the article you kind of discuss um, the things I think that people overlook from a very kind of bird's eye view of the game the kind of the little moments and the the fact that this game kind of allows these two teenage girls to be really gross and messy and mm. and do really bad things and commit crime and you know become emos <laughs> which, to be gay and do crimes to be gay and do be crimes and exactly and do crimes. which is honestly all the role playing i need which is what actually. emo stands for yeah it's, <laughs> it is exactly what that stands for um so, yeah, I just really wanted to, to talk about those little moments because I think the game doesn't really shine in... in well, it, does, it shines in, in all of its entirety, but I think where it really grips you at an emotional level is it in, in all of its little minuscule moments. So, you know, you don't ever talk about your favourite part of a Life is Strange game being the apocalypse <laughs> because, you know, while that's a looming threat, you remember dancing on the bed with Chloe. You remember Mm. going to a diner and ordering some pancakes. It's all of those very little inconsequential things that things that kind of really make you feel like you're living you're just living as a as a queer person or just living as a, a human being, as these teenage girls. And you so reticent see sympathetic stories about teenage girls. Mm hmm especially younger teenage girls who don't know what they're doing and who are a bit messy and a bit brash and loud. And it's not, they're not overly sexualised either. No, they're not. Which is always the problem, isn't it, when you try to tell, or not trying to, but when when you see other games, films, TV and stuff tell stories about sort of teenage uh, queer women. Yeah. It, it, it routinely goes straight down the sort of the the sort of sexual and sexualized kind of route, rather mm. than just being, as you say, just a a couple enjoying their lives. Yeah, exactly. And you know, if you compare Life is Strange, the, how it portrays its teenage girls, to something like Riverdale, for mm. example, there's a there's a oh, I love there's Riverdale. a chasm. <laughs> I know it's cheesy and it's fun, but mm-hmm. I don't really see myself, you know. 
Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah, in yes. terms of representation. And like, you know, it's allowed to, things are allowed to be fun, things are allowed to be cheesy and camp and that's all mm-hmm. right. But I think there is a place for things to exist that are, are real and that you can empathise with. And it's always really interesting with sort of the Life is Strange series about how some of the sort of most beautiful stories are told in those kind of darker moments. Yeah, exactly. As you say, the impending apocalypse, fine, but equally... You know, You've got two people that are sort of making the most of their exactly. potentially last few remaining days. You go to a party days, in yeah. a barn <laughs> and you, you know, shoot some bottles in the junkyard and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. renovate a, a truck that you find, which probably has all sorts of diseases in it. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. you do it anyway because, you know, you're two kind of stupid teenage girls just trying to yeah. rebel and live their lives and do crime. Mm-hmm. I think one of one of my main problems with that game is... And it's deliberate on the part of the writing, writing is every single time you just get that pang of knowing what happens. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I would love to be able to play that game without then having to remember the massive amount of sexual violence that happens mm. in yeah. Life is Strange. Yes, yeah, yeah for sure. Definitely. Um, there is that kind of impending doom all the way through before the storm that you, mm-hmm. you have because you know what happens whenever something happy happens you know mm-hmm. I, oh I, actually I would love to talk happen. to someone who played before the storm before life is strange I would absolutely love to speak to someone who did that as well mm-hmm. I think that would be a really interesting perspective on that yeah it was an interesting decision actually wasn't it to sort of do a prequel when you have such an established or such a monumentally sort of dark first story, yeah. mm-hmm. to try to do a prequel sort of saying, look, they're actually really happy. Yeah, It's difficult, isn't it? It's difficult, al- although it's yeah. a really nice story, it, it frames everything in like, a, oh, God, that they, they don't know what's coming, yeah. but we do sort of thing. And it's, It feels in the wrong order, it, doesn't it? That makes it? it feel even worse in some ways. Yeah, it feels in the wrong order, but I, I feel would be even more devastating in the other order. Mm. Because you've mm-hmm. seen... You've seen Rachel is a person. Mm-hmm. It's almost her. like if the Star Wars prequels were good. <laughs> well, can't believe yes. we got to Star Wars okay. this quickly. I mean, <laughs> we have sort of like set a record for I think nearly every podcast since since the last one came out. We have always talked about it. <laughs> and what I will say very briefly on this topic is at least the the prequels actually were a trilogy of films that were yes. written as a trilogy of films. Because mm-hmm. the most recent sequels were not written as a trilogy of films. They were written in a kind of like, ah, 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 kind of sort of, mm-hmm. yeah. like, you know, mm-hmm. in that sort of... Oh my God, like, we've got to end this entire yeah. saga in one movie. That's it, because yeah. we faffed around for the first well, two well, not I, really I think bothering. one thing you could say is they were written as a trilogy of films. If you, you know, you look at The Last Jedi on its own because you should, because it's better. Yes. Um, the Rise of Skywalker is two movies. Yes, it is. It is J.J. Abrams, a shit one and an even shitter one, <laughs> mid, middle and end part. Is that your official review? Yes, of... the shit and the yes. shitter. Yeah, <laughs> expect to see that on the website very soon. Did we quickly? Sorry, it's gone horrendously off topic. We did see um, the leaked Colin Trevorrow's version, Jewel of the Fates. I didn't have a look know. on the internet. Um, they've released it and they have some very interesting points about what his version of the film mm-hmm. was going to look like. 
taking forward particularly a lot of the key points from The Last Jedi, Mm -hmm. looking more at this whole... It's not just a case of light versus dark, good versus evil. Yeah, everyone's got interesting. Everyone's got a bit of light and dark in them, and the Jedi are just as bad as a Sith. And actually, Rise of Skywalker even even has some interesting bits on that, like the scene spoilers where Ray Force lightnings the (laughs) transport ship, which they then completely write off all meaning of anyway. But that one scene in isolation is. A perfect encapsulation of what I like about the duality mm. of morality in Star Wars, and mm-hmm. and what I loved about the Last Jedi injecting that grayness mm-hmm. into it. Absolutely, yeah. Um, if only it did it well. Yeah, mm-hmm. well. If only it were a good movie. <laughs> if only any of them were really that good. Um, looping back onto gaming. Um, Anything you want to talk about more or talk about um, Life is Strange Before Storm or are we going to... I think we're good. Seek off onto Star Wars. Gonna, <laughs> Call it a day on that one. Yeah, I think <laughs> once we get into Star Wars, we kind of need to move on as a responsibility. It's, it's yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Um, Ashley, what have you been reading on gaming um, so the that's artic- not Star Wars related? Yeah, the article that caught my eye was this one on uh, The Last of Us 2 mm-hmm. um, and the apparent maybe fridging of Mm. Ellie's uh, partner um, Dina Um, so there's been a new trailer for The Last of Us 2 out Mm -hmm. um, which even if it is not the case that Dina gets killed this trailer is specifically using the threat of that to um present the drama of this game um and so fridging and and the burying of gays is is a trope that has existed for far too long um and just my whole dissertation about it so oh yeah (laughs) just get that one in there perfect (laughs) um no you're absolutely right and yeah I, i think sort of is it's, it is always an unfortunate thing whenever we see it. I mean, we've, we've seen it recently in Star Trek and the Discovery in the first season of that and, yep. and everything yep. else that it's the same thing that goes round and round again. And, and a lot of people argue that, oh, it's just that we are all people, we can all die, etc. But it, you can mm-hmm. never, ever argue with how the sort of proportionally mm-hmm. higher but, amount but of bury your gaze. If, if, we, if we look at it purely from a marketing standpoint, mm. um, Naughty Dog specifically showed us an announcement trainer mm-hmm. trailer that showed Ellie and Dina making out at a party yep. to get everyone excited. Yep. On because the Sony stage. On the Sony stage. First party decision as well. Like yeah. that wasn't a decision to, that one decided. To say, decided. hell yeah, we've got lesbians in mm-hmm. our game. Um, and now they're using it. They're using that kind of emotional trauma to further market the game. Um, and it, it, the lazy writing of oh, if we just kill the main character's love interest, regardless if they're yeah. gay or not, is it's been done yeah. hundreds of times yeah. over and over again. Can we have some new, interesting examples of driving emotions for characters? Mm. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And the issue here, although bury the gaze is a very important thing that we should always sort of try and steer clear from, but take it back a couple of steps and, and look at it a bit wider, as you say, it's it, introducing a love interest to the main character and then killing them, is that in, that in itself is a, is a story mechanism that's been mm-hmm. done to death. 
and it's, almost it's, regardless it's of whether lazy they're, they're and it's and it's boring um and, and i think we can do the, better the straight white man protagonists story yes. isn't it mm-hmm. exactly a, my wife or daughter or both has died or been yeah. kidnapped yeah. and that's going to be what drives my emotional arc because i can't possibly have any other depth of character mm-hmm. yeah we, we said about this at the time when it came out we had a lot of interesting comments um in some <laughs> of the facebook groups that they, their story got shared into um and sitting here as as the sort of the, the man um it actually was men that commented a lot on the on it about how um it's it's a horror film it's a zombie thing a horror film it's a zombie game etc you need to get mm-hmm. over it and all this sort of stuff people die and it's just like well yes but equally the person that wrote that article uh amy our deputy editor um, is female identifying and the character in question is female identifying <laughs> mm-hmm. and you're going to come swinging in with that sort of you as the man are trying to mansplain exactly what we should all be mm-hmm. feeling about this yeah. and it, it just gets sorry yeah. your lived experience is incorrect here is my opinion exactly yes and, and so unfortunately <laughs> yeah it, a lot of the comments section was sort of in itself proving <laughs> why that argument was important yeah um but no, taking it taking it back, you're absolutely right. Using any sort of uh, twists and turns and threats and, and 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 death of sort of queer characters for for pure marketing reasons, I mm-hmm. think, is always filthy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Regardless of what it is or not, and and it the the, the idea that everyone has to die is wrong because mm-hmm. that would be a really shit end to the game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's obviously there going to be some survivors. You look at The Walking Dead. You look at every other zombie sort of story. There's there are people that survive it. Mm-hmm. Um, because they're the ones that are in the they're the main characters. Let's be honest about it. Um, and so you're obviously making these choices of who lives and who dies. Yeah. So yeah, let the lesbians live. Yeah. Do you know and what I mean? think let- I think stuff like that kind of stems from also that not really knowing what to do with queer characters after mm-hmm. they've you know rid themselves of their purpose. Yeah. Yeah. So th- this is one thing I've I've really been living for recently is. Queer characters who are just allowed to be queer. Yeah. Um, I I really loved the latest season of The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina mm-hmm. on Netflix, which involves uh, Theo, the trans guy character in that yeah. um, in that show, played by Lachlan Watson. Yeah, um, just gets to have a boyfriend, and the, and there's there's the tiny little threat just when they meet that oh he could be a baddie. But no, he just he just gets yep. to have a cute boyfriend, and they're cute together, and it's and it's nice. And there's no there's no drama around them both being guys. There's no drama in their relationship around Theo being trans, mm. um, and they're just they're just allowed to exist, and they get to make out, which is crazy. In we're in 2020, and and we've got a trans guy making out with yep. their boyfriend on <laughs> a major TV show, absolutely, yeah. which is great. Yeah, not something you often see anyway. And it's like I recently, recently watched a new L word, and I, mm-hmm. that kind of struck me as well. Like, there's a trans guy making out with his boyfriend, yeah, and you know they have a normal romantic relationship, and it's kind of you don't, mm-hmm. you know, queer people living, just yeah. like mm. being people who do things and love people, yeah, is something that I think is far too rare. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and 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 doing sort of. As you say, doing normal things, being boring, going down the shops, that sort of... And, and what's interesting about sort of the whole Sabrina thing is that it's not to say that he wasn't an un, unimportant character, um, but equally, 
having somebody that just exists and is a supporting character um, mm-hmm. in a very normalized way and just being there on screen and carrying on with their life. Um, yeah, and, and, and they get to be involved in all of the drama, all of the rest of the drama yep. is that is that season of Sabrina. It was insane. Oh, it was a lot of drama, yeah. That, that happened. Um, but we're at a point now past season one where Theo's transness is mm-hmm. not a point of contention anymore and that and that's what i i want to see more of in media is queer characters we don't even need to see them coming out we can just that queer characters exist yeah. and their queerness is not a source of contention a source of drama what the source of drama is the giant 60 <laughs> foot plant monster that's gonna kill everyone exactly. it's just taken it's taken as an assumed truth and mm-hmm. it's just mm-hmm. that is that person yeah, yeah. I don't and wake we, up every yeah. day and debate my own no, exactly. identity as mm-hmm. a lesbian brown woman <laughs> exactly yeah. I'd be a wreck if I did that every day that's exhausting <laughs> um I, and that all sort of feeds in actually to what I was going to say about the the article that I've been reading mm-hmm. um and again we're coming back to don't nod um from our original sort of conversations as well so I think it's it's a day of wholesomeness, isn't yeah. it? Actually, this it really podcast is. Yeah. It really is about good quality sort of LGBT characters, yeah. including we've the part monsters. We've had Pavati and everything else, and also a little bit of monsters thrown in for good measure. Um, we uh, recently interviewed some lovely people at Don't Nod about their upcoming game, uh, Tell Me Why. Um, this is a very popular game. We've spoken about it a couple of times recently. I think we listed it as one of the games that we were looking forward to in 2020, primarily because there is a trans protagonist played by a trans actor in a storyline um, regarding him and his sibling um, uncovering sort of family truths and whatever else. And I think the interview that uh, Amy did with um, the two people from Don't Nod um, it was really revealing. I think it was comforting. Um, I think we had, I think when when it was announced by, um, by Microsoft that this game was coming, um, I think you could almost hear maybe just a little ripple of a little shockwave mm-hmm. just going around like, oh, God, are they really going to do this? Yeah. And what I really sort of found quite empowering is is the more we sort of dug into it and then when we actually spoke to um, people from Don't Nod, um, the amount of work they've put into this, not just consulting with GLAD, although that's a good first step, but actually using some of their LGBTQ members of staff talking to people on Facebook, getting some genuine uh, trans people to talk about mm-hmm. how to do it, um, but also the the actor uh, themselves. Yeah, I um, thought that was that was the bit the, bit of the interview that jumped out at me the most yeah. was, was saying they collaborated with the actor and lines that didn't work for him yep. don't work for the character, so they changed it. Absolutely. Um, um, and and we actually before before we spoke to Don't Nod, we um sort of quickly canvassed a few of our trans contributors, mm-hmm. um, and we sort of asked them about what their sort of concerns were as a way of being able to put that to to Don't Nod. Um, and the main concern that a lot of them had was about whether uh, the trans protagonist's story would be just about him being a trans man. Mm-hmm. And this is exactly what we've been talking about. Yeah, for that, yeah. The mul- feels like the whole of this episode, which is lovely. Um, it's not the story isn't about him being trans. He mm-hmm. is trans. And that's yeah. that's that. But the yeah. rest of it is about 
there are family secrets. There are, it's, it's an exploration of him mm-hmm. and his sibling going back to Alaska. And what was interesting is that Don't Nod didn't set out to, this, they didn't set out with this, this is going to be the trans story. Mm-hmm. They didn't even know that they were going to write a trans character. Um, they started to prepare the storyline, they started to flesh it out, and then only at a certain point um, was it sort of decided, well, actually, it would be really interesting if. And I think because of that, they'd set all the groundwork and they'd set all that sort of storylines and everything else, and then they just layered the trans bit into there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which probably sort of gave it a bit more sort of refresh, um, refreshing way of sort of telling that story and, and mm-hmm. ensuring that it wasn't told in that kind of this is a game about a trans person. Um, and actually, I was going to ask you, um, as our sort of current resident trans person, um, <laughs> how you're sort of feeling about it, having read that interview. I'll be honest mm. and say that when I read the interview, I had very little context. I've, I'd heard about the game. I, I knew that there was um, something coming from Don't Nod that was going to have a trans mm-hmm. character in it. Um and I think I probably had a lot of the same concerns that your readers had and, and, and that your colleagues had going into the interview. And I, when I read it, um, I was kind of touched by like how much effort and um, care they're putting into designing this character. Mm. Um, and it the one thing that concerns me is that it's a lot of work and I don't know if that kind of thing is sustainable for especially smaller studios to mm. consistently deliver well-written, well-researched queer characters and trans characters in particular. Um, hopefully, Don't Nod will be able to take what they learned from this game and apply it to any future games they make. But if, if someone else comes along and wants to make a story like that it's not necessarily a sustainable amount of work for people to do every single time someone wants to write a trans protagonist mm. um and so hopefully it's it's in, enough is learned from this that and that disseminates through the rest yeah. of the gaming industry yeah I, I i take that point completely um i think it's 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 good that someone is taking that step and i think mm-hmm. it's good that obviously they're taking it exceptionally seriously when they decided to take that step. Yeah. Um, I think, as they said in the interview, it's, it's very easy for them, would have been very easy for them to fall down some fairly obvious mm-hmm. uh, rabbit holes. Yeah. Um, but they didn't, or at least yeah. we, 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 at this stage. Um, I, I guess the, the contrast to it um, is if you look at Bioware, um, when they made Dragon Age Inquisition mm-hmm. um, and they had Krem, yeah. uh, who is a trans man, they, they put not quite this amount of effort, but they mm-hmm. put a huge amount of effort into researching that character um, and treating it, treating that writing mm. with care. Um, and then they immediately follow up with Mass Effect Andromeda, which mm-hmm. makes all of the basic mistakes. Yeah. And that's, the, we have to take heart, obviously, because it's obviously the same studio as uh, Life is Strange, mm-hmm. which mostly do well pretty much do well. I mean, we've obviously yeah. spent a bit of time talking about it today, but there yeah. have been sort of more recent examples, particularly in the the latter game, where it's sort of, I think it wobbled a little bit, didn't mm-hmm. it? Um, so, and I think obviously we've got other challenges coming up this year as well, with Cyberpunk coming out later yes. in the year as well. 
um, which will have... Slightly terrifying. Yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> didn't get off to the best start. No. Nope. Um, and I think they probably now have quite a way to go to get back up to that kind of respect level. Mm-hmm. I think what they are offering is very interesting. The ability to build a character exactly how you want to be in a game. My fear is then how that is then replicated or playable in the game. Are they going to be treated um, the same? Are they going to be? Are there different dialogue options available for different how? Yeah, it's character. The the question I want to ask from that, from uh, CD Projekt Red, is okay. You're going to let me make an androgynous, non-binary character. Can I use they/them pronouns? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Are are NPCs? Have you recorded the voice lines using they/them pronouns with your voice actors, Mm -hmm. Um, or is it still a case of we're just going to? wobble around any way we refer to your character. Yeah. So, number one, we never have to say their name yeah. or you're only going to be called V mm. um, and yeah. you're not going to be able to change the character's name um, and we never refer to your gender. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which sort of invalidates the need for mm-hmm. or the, the sort of benefit, I should say, of of, mm. of what they're promising. Yeah. Like, um, imagine yeah. how validating it would be to hear a pronoun that isn't he or she yeah. mm-hmm. in a video game, have hearing your player character mm-hmm. being referred to. Yeah, the, there's they, a them. lot of games out there that let you choose they, them pronouns yeah. now. Yeah. Um, my, my favourite is Battletech, has a great little character creation nice. system. But yeah. you know the pronouns for, your, for those characters don't really come up mm-hmm. very often and nothing in spoken dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it's 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 definitely a, a worry for me that they're making this character creation system, which is essentially The Sims Four. Yeah. And yes, what are they going to do with it? Yeah. And then when they sort of launch the off into minimum. the rest of the game, it's mm-hmm. what is going to come out of that. Um, that's cool. So uh, don't nod. Uh, tell me why coming out later this year I can't say that coming out somewhere um, uh, <laughs> coming out yeah. at some point coming out, coming out soon before um, the end times yes before the end of the decade yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, no so the, I, I'm I'm really excited by it mm-hmm. I, I think yeah. it has that they've shown great sort of potential to get this far they've got a fantastic track record mm-hmm. um, and they're saying all the right things yeah. and please please go and read that interview um, it is very, very revealing. It's to, an amazing interview. I think it really addressed some of the questions that I had. Mm. Um, you know, and I think it's just really telling that they seemed so personally invested in making it authentic. Well, but they said they would have they well. failed what... as writers if they didn't yes. portray yeah. the character as accurately as they possibly could and make mm. his character more about him being trans. And they said that not hiring a trans actor to play him wasn't even an option for them. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is promising, but you know, we'll see. It's, it's a great start, and and as, and as I say, it's it's interesting that they're not scared of it. Yeah, I think a lot of if there are other studios we can think of that if if they wanted to start to do this, um, they would be probably petrified about having to sort of deal with all this, and they'd mm-hmm. be stressing about it. Whereas it feels like don't nod of very much relaxed into it. It came out fairly organically. Yeah. Um, they decided to sort of choose the casting, etc. And so yeah, I think it's. Mm-hmm. Very promising. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're back in just a minute to talk about this week's hot topic right after this break. 
What is the sound of a thousand voices like, I wonder? Is it like this? Or this? Hello! Now maybe it's more like this. (laughs) Oh, I got it. It's like this. Sitting here in the basement of 12 Cock Lane in Smithfields in Chatterbox Studio One, it's not hard to imagine the sound of a thousand voices seeping through these walls. You see, this is a boutique-sized company with a global heart, and audio localization is what they do in no less than 80 languages. British, Baltic, Beverly Hills, Bollywood, beautiful or boastful. Whatever your audio requirements, Chatterbox is your go-to place. Commercials, promos, documentaries, e-learning and audiobooks. They also do a fair bit of gaming too. Welcome back. I'm still here with Izzy and Ashley, and we always finish up the podcast with our Hot Topic segment. Uh, This week's Hot Topic is regarding the brand new UK Games Industry Census Report, uh, which has come out this week. It's the most authoritative analysis of diversity in the UK Games workforce ever conducted. Um, And it was published on Tuesday alongside the launch of Hashtag Raise the Game, which is a new industry-wide diversity pledge. There's some really ex- uh, exciting figures in this. Um, exciting, yeah. We've, Quite shocking as well. Yeah, I mean, this. so the, the, so the census that went out, it went out to 3,000 people, um, or three, I, should, I should say 3,000 people responded to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it went out to everybody in the industry, and it was very strictly in the games industry. So... Izzy, you wouldn't have been able to reply to it. I didn't reply to it because this was very much about people who worked physically producing games, not in the peripheral uh, industries like PR or media. Apparently, um, the next one they do, they are going to sort of expand it out to the sort of surrounding bits as well. I I was going to ask if it included people like QA testers. I'm not going to say anything on that, I don't Mm -hmm. think, purely because I can't really answer that question. No. Um, I would say yes. Yeah. Having said that. I mean, I think categorically they come into the They're very much in the production part of the And they often like work for the dev company. Like the external studio, yeah. Exactly. They're very much in the production. So I I think yes. Yeah. But I'm not going to sort of um, stake any money on it. No definitive statements. No definitive statements. Um, and the results, that obviously, the census has been going on since September last year. Um, and the results have come back and it's been revealed. A lot of people are very nervous about this um, and the, because the games industry of a, a sort of, from a historical point of view, um, has always very much been seen as the sort of straight white man's club. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I was genuinely knocked over and I had to read it about 10 times before it actually sank in. Specifically on the LGBT front, 21% of the games industry are LGBTQ. That is ridiculously high. That's one in five. One in Mm -hmm. five people are LGBT in games production. Not in the fluffy bits that go around the outside of Mm -hmm. it, not in PR or media or anything else, but actual people on the ground making games, which totally vindicates this whole thing that we've been doing since we started gaming. It Mm -hmm. vindicates the whole thing about why... Um, this new group, our Outmaking Games, has started OMG to support LGBT people in the industry. Yeah. What? Because we're one in five. Exactly, That's and bizarre. Comparatively to the national statistics of three to seven percent of the UK population yeah. themselves being LGBTQ plus. That's I, I, I wonder significantly if a, a big higher. Part of that is one of the other interesting 
things that mm. you pointed out, Robin, the ages mm -hmm. of the people working in the games mm. industry. Most of the people working in the game industry are under the age of 35. Yep. Um, and my experience as an out queer person is definitely that among younger groups of people, you find more people who mm. are openly queer. Um, and I wonder how much of that correlates in this I think the, this the, the magic word that you said there was open yeah. and openly. Mm -hmm. um, I think people have lived through their careers, lived through their lives in an industry um, going back sort of 10 years that was very staunchly um, straight and, and they wouldn't want to necessarily put the hand put put the head over the parapet they wouldn't necessarily want to be sort of the gay one in the company because that yeah. just wouldn't work whereas mm -hmm. now Definitely. it's it, it's i mean the, the proof's now out there it's 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 ridiculous i mean mm -hmm. there are other statistics um we'll, we'll talk a bit more about lgbt in a second but there are digging into it a little bit um there was a statistic around um specifically non-binary yeah, um, 2%. which was 2%, compared mm -hmm. to as opposed to like half a percent or 0.4% is the national average yeah. as of last year Yeah, from like 10,000 respondents. Yeah. And 3% so, trans, Yeah, which again, is up from about 1%, I think it's the national average. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think it's about the visibility, it's about the openness, and I think it's about people actually being proud of who they are. Yeah, and, and, and I also think it's up. just a, it's a, product of the creative industry that we mm -hmm. work in mm -hmm. i feel that because interactive creativity is such a right platform to be able to produce self-expression and mm -hmm. explore like performative yep. actions and um create things that really emphasize sense of self-identity mm -hmm. is, is really integral to, mm -hmm. to i think i know what way. happened yeah. What mm. happened was during Gamergate, everyone was saying, <laughs> oh, all you all you gays, go, just go and make your own games. So we did. So we did. <laughs> so we did. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I love well, a sentence that starts with Gamergate. Gamergate, yeah. exactly. Gamergate, yeah. Yeah. Gamergate happens. Yes. But I, I think what's really interesting, as you, what you just sort of picked up on there, Ashley, was around the fact that a lot of people, a lot of people, Twitter, um, <laughs> basically says, like, get your gay out of our games. Why that there aren't any game people that that play games? Like, well, no, twenty percent of them are. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> yeah, we are in the games industry. We are making your games, mm -hmm. and um, you're playing. Gay people you're make your games. Them. Yeah, gay people make your games. <laughs> the I mean, gay when... person has touched your game exactly yeah. at some point. Probably at me. The code level <laughs> yeah. as well, intimately. Yeah. <laughs> Put it under my pillow for seven nights and seven days. <laughs> yeah. Um, looking at some of the other figures across it. Um, across the census, um, Ashley, you obviously mentioned that two thirds of the people working uh, in the sector are age thirty-five or under. I think that is leading to this kind of revolution of of sweeping away maybe some of the bits that we don't necessarily want to keep talking about in the in the industry. Um, so that's a good thing. Um, Ten percent of people are f um, from Black, Asian, and minority ethnic backgrounds, which I thought that was going to be higher. Mm. If I'm being brutally honest with you. You always think it's going to be higher and then mm. you're the only brown person in a room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yes. Um, although in this instance, you're 33% rather I'm than 10%. I'm 33%, so, yes. Yeah. Not calling you out personally. Exactly. Um, <laughs> no, but I, yeah. I mean, the good thing is that is still higher than the national working uh, yeah. population and higher actually, actually than the overall sort of creative industries. And I think mm. what we have to remember when we talk about creative industries as a whole is that games sort of sits slightly adjacent to the rest of the creative industry. Yes. Because there's a lot of coding. There's yeah. all the, 
it, it, the census actually compares creative industry figures and um, standard IT figures with the idea that it's probably somewhere in between those two mm-hmm. figures because yeah. there's a lot more sort of techie IT stuff that happens in games than I'm going to insult the film industry, but then sort of potentially producing film or making TV or anything like that. That's mm-hmm. a lot more creative and it just happens. It's very insulting. I apologize. Um, but making games that is very Cody, very sort of um, mm-hmm. IT based looking yeah. at those figures. I think that's still 10%. I'm, I was surprised by that. I, I, so, I felt that was a bit low. Yeah. And I, the fact that, sorry, uh, I was going to say, I wonder on one side of this, it's all well and good to have these statistics, um, but the next step is always the hard part. This is something I, I have experienced in these kinds of surveys mm-hmm. in my day job in academia, where we had statistics in astronomy and physics that we had a fairly high um, proportion of uh, queer people, mm. I think, around about 15% in uh, in an Institute of Physics survey. Um, and that was six years ago or something. Yeah. Um, and it took a long time for the academic apparatus around that to move itself to a point where we can go from a census to a climate survey mm. to be able to go from, okay, we know there's 21% of people in the UK working in the game industry identify as LGBTQ, what are their experiences? What what are the experience of workplace harassment yeah. of um Yeah, I, I think that's yeah. gonna be yeah, that that's that is gonna be the next step in all this. Mm-hmm. And I think that is that is that. Izzy, you were just gonna say something about BAME for a second, weren't you? Yeah. Which is I'm the slightly just, awkward bit. Yeah, it was it was the slightly awkward bit about the statistics that, you know, a a lot of the the ten percent um, aren't in senior roles, yeah. which is kind of disappointing, mm-hmm. really. It's all well and good, us being there, but are we actually doing things? You'd feel that if more BAME people were in those senior roles, maybe that 10% is actually would be higher yeah. because they'd probably be Absolutely. recruiting other people in mm-hmm. from the BAME community. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, it runs all the way through from yeah. the very top. Absolutely. If there's... A person of color at the top who can actually have some oversight in targeted yep. employment and hiring, which is a good thing, by the way. Yes, mm-hmm. and, and it's not it's not it's not necessarily in the interview stage. And and when when you're at the point of interviewing people, um, it's very diff- difficult to do that kind of targeted mm. selection. It's in where you're advertising Absolutely. your jobs. Yes. Recruitment recruitment 100%. begins before you actually want to recruit yeah. people. Yeah. It's about advertising in the right places. It's mm-hmm. about adver- advertising in different places. Yeah. yeah. It's not about just advertising in the same old places. Exactly. With the same old it's about making decision between advertising your job on a notice board at Imperial College London or going down to a secondary school in Dagenham. Yep. Mm-hmm. In, in Essex yeah. and like speaking about games and yeah. gaming industry and that you can work there. I say that because I'm from Dagenham. And uh, <laughs> you can. I've seen nothing there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I think, look, the, having a census is a good thing. I think having, having these figures, it's actually the first time that this level of statistic analysis has ever been done 
in mm-hmm. the video game industry, <clears throat> and we are now in 2020. And, and it's a big <laughs> survey as well. It's, it's, it's actually a very, over 2,000 people. Bringing, bringing my old yeah. geography degree back out yeah. is a very valid sample. Yeah, and, and that's like that's over, what is it, 30% of the workforce yes. in the UK? Yeah. Um, that That's a big chunk. Yeah, yeah um, absolutely. You know, it's a, a solid sort of chunk of statistic. Um, and I think it's, it is something that I think has now... It's always been mentioned, it's always been talked about, and I think having those sort of like finger-in-the-air moments of like, oh, we think it's this many, or we think it's that mm-hmm. many. But now we actually have solid proof. Um, mm-hmm. One more figure that has just caught my eye um, is the sort of the predictable one, I suppose, which is that 70% of people in the industry are male, mm-hmm. um, compared to 28 female and 2% non-binary. Um, it's obviously significant. Female representation is obviously significantly under the national average. Mm-hmm. Um However, um, I believe um, it's similarly pitched to other creative industries. I read that on the wider report. Um, the other creative industries actually have, and particularly with IT, if you put it mm-hmm. against IT, yeah. actually that's quite high. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think you have to always look at this with that lens of games is a little bit different. It's a bit more IT maybe than some mm-hmm. other creativity. But even, I, I was reading the sort of the wider report earlier, even female representation in TV and film is actually surprisingly low, which obviously Oscars and mm-hmm. uh, all, all that sort of issue we won't talk about. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, so that probably proved a point really in some ways. Yeah. Um, and I think some of the other figures that are in here that we won't keep talking about are sort of proving a point. But hey, mm-hmm. at least you have figures. And what's going to yeah. be really interesting is when they go around again in two years' time. Yeah. Has that changed? Yeah. And has it changed for the better? Because as you say, having a census is great, but then acting upon that is where mm-hmm. the important thing, yeah. the important, the real yeah. work starts in some ways. Yeah. Um, because that's where the hashtag raise the game pledge comes into play. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, um, there, there is one more thing in here that I found mm-hmm. really interesting, um, and that's the work time stats mm. that they have. Three and a half percent of respondents report that they work over 50 hours a week, which is surprisingly low mm. um, when you think about the games industry mm. and the over prevalence of crunch culture yes. in game dev right now um, I wonder how much of that is just the European work time directive doing its job Probably. and game devs just can't work over 40 hours because mm. they're not allowed Yeah, That's or they don't yeah. Clock them in. Yeah. Cause... Well, that might be the other thing about the whole mm-hmm. crunch thing. Yeah. Is the... I, I don't know if crunch is a problem in UK studios. I don't have a I don't have an eye on that. I, I'm I'm not close enough to actually sort of have any appreciation of that. But mm-hmm. I, what's interesting, I think, with that is maybe how people respond. I'd like to understand how people responded to that question. Yes. Yeah. I, I think it's less necessarily about do are a lot of people taking crunch as like a a blip. Yeah. Do they sort of average their time out? Mm-hmm. Do they say normally I work about fifty hours a oh, week? Oh, but then for those, but then two for those weeks, two I weeks worked we go, around uh, seventy. Exactly. Yeah. But we don't talk about that because yeah. that was just it was a blip. Yeah. Because people slept in the office, no big deal. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> eight KFC every day. Slept, <laughs> slept in the office. My wife broke left up. Me. Broke up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We shouldn't laugh. My dog left me. That probably happened. Um, yeah. No. I, I, so I, I think it's the normalization almost of crunch possibly. Mm-hmm. It might be hidden in those in those figures slightly, yeah. 
Um, but yeah, Izzy, you mentioned the hashtag raise the game, and obviously I said that right at the top. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a, a, a new um, initiative, and it's a pledge uh, to improve this diversity. So it is actually what you were saying about taking mm-hmm. taking the census and actually doing something with it. Um, and they pledge the companies that sign up to the raise the game pledge. Um, are championing and fostering sort of diversity and inclusion within their organisations across three pledge pillars, which is about creating a diverse workforce because of recruitment, which we talked about earlier as well, um, shaping those uh, workplaces to uh, inspire and educate people to take more personal responsibility um, regarding diversity and inclusion, um, and then obviously reflecting great diversity within the games. So, I mean, those three pillars, that they're fairly sort of standard really aren't they mm. um, yeah like you kind of hope as, that's what they were doing anyway yeah as someone like <laughs> who has experience in in being a core part of mm. a diversity mm. push in an industry this doesn't jump out at me at, at me as like groundbreaking it's like yes that's that's your basic level that's what you should be doing. that's what you should be doing yeah. Yeah. tell me tell me how you're gonna do that yeah. um and how are you it's always interesting to look at the language in these kinds of reports and how they balance their use of diversity and equality and in- inclusion um, and equity gets used mm. a lot as well. Um, because all of those words mean slightly different things because mm. you can have a very diverse workforce um, that is not inclusive yeah. Yeah. at all. Um, equal. Which yeah. is why I, I mentioned earlier about... Exactly. Um, you can see the numbers, but you also have to know about the experience of the people in the industry. Mm. And I think if we were looking at this pledge for any other industry, we'd probably sit here going, well, that's just awful. Yeah. But I think given Games' history, and I think given the fact this has never been done before, mm-hmm. um, I think on balance, it's a good start. Mm-hmm. And I think this is exactly what this is, which yeah. is a, a start. I don't think it's the solution. I don't mm-hmm. think it's anything resembles where it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I Absolutely. think as a first step of just grabbing the sort of by the scruff of the neck and going, right, we're doing this. Yeah. Um, I think it's great. I mean, to have um, that there's five founding partners with, of EA, Facebook, uh, Jagex, King and Xbox. Yeah. Um, who are sort of, I mean, they've certainly gone for the sort of triple A's. Uh, mm-hmm. And the sort of very very big players in the industry to try to sort of make sure that that trickles down because um, I think that I think we spoke about this someone or I spoke about it someone all my podcasts are blending into one another <laughs> but we spoke a while back about how a lot of LGBT content is being driven and a lot of diverse content which is not even LGBT is being driven by indies there's a mm-hmm. lot coming up from indies yes. but indies will model themselves on what the big studios are doing. Yeah. So if the big studios are doing something, then hopefully now that will sort of have some impact uh, lower down as well. Yeah. So um, that's I good. Don't, I don't really think that we've ever really been told that we deserve more. No, really. exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As an industry yeah. and as people in yeah. an yeah. industry, I don't think we've ever really been told that we should aspire to, to, to have more and that we actually should ask for more that we really deserve and we're entitled yeah. to have more yeah. in this industry that we give so much of our lives and energy and love to that it's I think this is a really good basis to let everyone know that actually yeah we deserve more we deserve yeah. more than what we have yeah and hopefully that'll just grow exponentially absolutely 
Um, you can find out more about the pledge and sign up to it um, at www.raisethegame.com. Um, and you can also go to uh, Uki, um, ukie.org.uk, their website, and you can check out all the results um, from the industry census. Um, I think this going to be absolutely fascinating, Reid. Um, that's it for today's episode. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed that. It was good, wholesome talk. Yeah. yeah. That was, Talked about monsters, nice robots with feelings. Robots and feelings. Teenagers. Yep. Lovely. Lovely stuff. Uh, a big thank you to my guests, uh, Giles, at the top of the show, and obviously Izzy and Ashley, who are still with me now. Um, and an even bigger thank you to you all for listening. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks' time with our next episode. But in the meantime, keep up with all the LGBTQ video gaming stories on Gaming Magazine. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter so you don't miss any of these amazing stories. We are at Gaming Mag. Also, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our new episodes. See you all soon. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.